How's everybody doing? This row is awake. The rest of you are in the back trying to take a nap because Corey's not here. Hey, but that's okay. Uh, my name's David. Uh, I've been on staff uh, for a little over three years now. And I taught last summer. I talked about how Corey tried to break too dense of a board. Now, I, I don't have another Corey story for you, but I, I want to talk about what it's like to work here. And in this, uh, there are rules that you have to have, at, even if you're a pastor here, because what ends up happening is uh, there's, they're for your safety, because we have a really good team here, and, and they love you, and they love what they do, but their love language is prank. And so to give you an example, one rule that we follow is simply this, is that if you leave your computer, you always lock it. Otherwise, there will be things on Facebook that you said that you didn't really say. So that rule is, is it's, it's hard and it's fast, but there's another rule that's important in, in working here. And it's simply this, is that even if you mean it as a joke, whatever you do, do not post on Facebook your most embarrassing pictures. Don't do it. <laughs> do not do it. I know what you're thinking right now. Richard Marks called from the 90s and he wants his hairstyle back. I get it. I get it. It was an interesting time for me. But that being said and done, um, this has been the product of memes, the product of a number of different things that have happened in my tenure here so far. And not only that, we have some very talented people on staff with, uh, with graphics. And with that being said, I am now a co-star <laughs> in the movie Pretty in Pink. Yuck it up, Christians. Great. You do that. Um, so it's, it's actually, it's, it's a blast to be here. It's a blast to work here. And my name's David Ashworth. Like I said, this is Michelle. This is my wife. And she is, she is helping me today because we're talking about, oh, let's get this hideous picture off the screen. Um, we're talking about family today. And, uh, but before we get to that, some of you know, and some of you don't, we are working on planning a Rockville Eagleville campus. And uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. We've got thir a 13-member uh, uh, launch team, and we've got 30 to 40 wonderful volunteers that are helping us plant this camp campus. But the question always is, as, as I get it all the time, is have you found a building yet? And we've not rushed this. We're not looking for the Taj Mahal. We're just looking for something with just enough room to do ministry. And to give you a picture, I've looked at seven different places so far since the year began. And not that we haven't found the exact right building. So if you could pray for us, just want you to know that effort is going really strong. We're trying to get in the community there just to, to be a part of it with or without a building. And we're also investing in the team itself that's going. So please pray for that. And if you have any questions, you'll see some people today in a Rockville Eagleville shirt. I think there's going to be one in the connections corner. Or you can come talk to Michelle and I. So like I said, we're, we're talking about family and we have been given this task to discuss godly men and godly women together because I, I need her help for a couple of reasons. Because what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to come up here today and as a man, pretend like I can tell you ladies how to be women. Because when it's said and done, it would be problematic because think about it. If, if, if us men completely understood women, we would do things a lot differently. I mean... I mean, a lot differently. 
And honestly, I tried for the last few weeks to convince him that he actually could talk about women because I've given him about 20 years worth of material and training, especially in the SAS department, but he wasn't going for that. So I'm up here today and thank you for being gracious because this is not my comfort zone whatsoever. But as David said, my name is Michelle and we've been coming to the church for about seven years now. We started out, uh, I was about 113 in the congregation back on Front Street. And I remember walking into the um, first evening service we attended, and it was full of college students. And it was a beautiful picture, but I walked in and looked at him and said, we are the oldest people in here. This may not go well. I wasn't sure if there was an age limit on that, but we fell in love with the, the community and with Corey's teaching and, and stayed there and have just loved it and poured into those students. And they um, started calling me mom, and we poured into them, like I said, and spent time with them, and they called us, um, or we filled a void in spiritual parents for them at some point, and during that time, we saw this group of young adults separated from their family due to being in college, um, just trying to figure out what it meant to be adults, specifically, what did it mean to be a godly man or a godly woman? And many came from great family backgrounds that had good relationships with their parents. And some were um, walking through divorce with their parents and others had no relationship whatsoever. They were estranged from their families. And um, while God was using Corey in just a mighty way and, and these, this young church was growing, we always wondered why the family was producing young adults who didn't know God or didn't know themselves. We certainly did not have all the answers, but we realized that there was a problem. And as we consider the problem, what I want to do is this. I want to pose a question for all of us. Uh, I don't think it's a question we often think about because we're here. But the question is simply this. What do you believe it means to be a person committed to God? What do you think that means? Here's the thing. If I were to ask that question, often I would get the answer of maybe it's someone who prays all the time or, or, or someone who, who serves at the church or, or, or someone who's here every time the building's open. Now, don't get me wrong. These are good things that they are things that we should do, but they're not actually the commitment itself. They're not actually the commitment. In your notes, understand this. If we don't understand what it means to be committed to God, we can demonstrate attributes of commitment without actually being committed to him. You see, Jesus talks about this, uh, and he talks about the Pharisees. And on the surface, they look great. He, he says they pray in public. They give for everyone to see. They're there every time temple opens. But then as, as he's describing them, he quotes Isaiah, and he makes the statement. He says, their hearts are far from me. In other words, they were not committed. They were not actually in a relationship with God. They were just using their religion to feel better about themselves. Something else in their life was more important. And even though on the surface, everything looked okay. And, and the question today is, as we consider uh, this commitment with God, is do we do the same thing? And here's the hard part for us. We are probably in more danger of doing this in a somewhat Christian culture here in the South. I'm going to give you a gut check on this one, a simple gut check. Is the best demonstration of your faith within these four walls? Or is it away from here? Is the best, best demonstration of your faith here? Or is it elsewhere? 
Because look, if it's only here, your commitment may just be cultural. Some people, they'll come here and they'll leave and there's sin that they're okay with in their life and they'll go back to it and it's no big deal. And, and, and that's not what God calls a commitment. And, and some people, we don't even do it on purpose because the Christian life that was shown to us was the only Christian life we understand how to mimic. And that's the life we find ourselves living. It's just what we were taught. So there is a second part to that, and that's how much of a commitment does God actually want from us? Jesus tells a number of parables and makes many statements in the New Testament about the commitment level of the Christian life. We're going to look at the parable of the treasure in the field. In Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. You see, what the man sells is his entire life, but he gains so much more. He gains God and all that he's done for him. Jesus makes, again, incredible statements of the commitment required. And we see in the New Testament, People leave their jobs, they leave their old way of life, and some people even give up their life just to follow Christ. Kay Arthur, many of the women in this room know uh, who she is and are very familiar. She makes this in-your-face statement that's just really kind of stuck with me. And she says, if you do not plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God and to walking in obedience to Him, then don't begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It's a change of citizenship, a change of governments, a change of allegiance. If you have no intention of letting Christ rule your life, then forget Christianity. It's not for you. In other words, what she's saying, there's no value in being a modern day Pharisee. You can walk down that path and still be lost or you can choose to give yourself fully to Christ. Now hear what I'm saying. It's not a call to legalism. This is a call to the greatest commitment of your life. We all have commitments. We all can agree that if I were to ask you that question, you'd say, well, I have a commitment to my job or to pay my bills. And yes, those are very important to, to pay those your bill and report to your boss and do what he asks you to do. But aren't your greatest commitments with those you love? your husband, your wife, your family, your friends. Let's not mistake a religious mindset for a great commitment. Understand the problem. In confusing a deep commitment with God as trying harder, we miss God's desire for us to draw closer. Action is important, obviously, but your commitment your love, and more importantly, God's love for us was always meant to be the foundation of your life and family. We're talking commitment today in the lives of godly men and women because your greatest love is expressed in your greatest commitment. It begins with you and God, and then that pours over into your family and your home. You see, you will never experience the depth of God's love if your greatest commitment is to something other than God. 
God won't let you have commitment with him that requires nothing of you. That's not how real commitments work, and he knows it. So in understanding the importance of our commitment with God, um, I want to address two characteristics today, or we both will here, on what does it mean to have a commitment to God on his terms? What does that look like? And, and, and Michelle and I have been married now for 19 years, and, and, and as we gave our lives to Christ, we found two commitments, uh, two that stick out in my mind that, that I want to talk with you about today. And to understand the first commitment, what I wanted to, want to do is I want to go back to the book of Genesis. And, and I want to talk about how God was described in the midst of what he was doing at the very beginning of all of this. In the very beginning, when, when God's in creation, in the Hebrew, he's called Elohim, which literally means creator. Now, if you look in your Bible, oftentimes when you see in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see the word Lord, and you'll see every letter capitalized. And it's a signification that it's this word, Yahweh, which means master and absolute ruler. So what I want to do is, is I want to look at what happened in the fall. When the fall occurred, let's talk about the conversation between Satan and Eve. And this is Genesis 3.1. It says this, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So notice the passage here. It has two references to God by two different people speaking. The first reference is from Moses, who most scholars believe is the author of Genesis. The second reference to God is actually by Satan himself to Eve. Now I underlined them and made them yellow and bold so I could make it more than obvious. But what's the difference between the two references? What's missing in the second reference? It's simply this, right? Moses maintains the rule of God by calling him Lord God. But when Satan goes to tempt Eve, what does he remove? God's authority. He said in his words and in his actions, he removes in his life, the authority of God. And here's the problem. We've actually been doing it ever since. In, in, in our homes, often God's authority is either missing or it's compromised. And God is not the priority or even the authority in our homes, even though we call ourselves Christian. But understand the issue. When people choose their desire over God, they substitute their own authority for his. We think Adam and Eve, when we look back, we think they were so narrow-minded to fall for what Satan get offered them. But if we could be honest as it pertains to sin, we do the exact same thing. We wrestle with this. And today, we often want the Jesus who loves us the Jesus who saves us, but it's much harder for us to accept the Jesus who leads us. But to be committed to Christ, to truly be to, committed to Christ on his terms with him as your absolute authority, it begins with this uncompromising commitment to who God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, 
Moses, uh, Moses, that's Michelle. I just called her Moses. God forgive me. She is not as old as Moses. I just, ah, uh, we are in trouble and I just got started. So, so here's the thing with, with, uh, with my schedule, um, Michelle does a lot of waiting on me. And there are weeks when I do a lot of classes in the evenings here and, and things like that. And I don't always get to come home when I want to, and we don't always get to go out when we want to. So when dates come around, man, we're just like, hey, we're going to go out. It's going to be awesome. And honey, man, you're so awesome. I just, you pick the restaurant and we're going to go eat together and maybe we'll go to a movie. And she's like, oh, and, and she picks the restaurant and we go eat. And then because she loves me so much too, it's like we get to that time and Michelle goes, you know what? You pick the restaurant this time. And I go, oh, that's awesome. But I started to figure out there was a problem. There was an issue because what would happen is, is this, and she would go, blink, 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 honey, I love you, pick the restaurant. And I would go, hey, let's, uh, let's go to Chili's. She'd look at me and she'd go, no, not there. And, and so this pattern started to repeat itself again and again. And, and, and I would uh, give a restaurant. And there was one night where I finally had the full realization. And she again, blink, 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 love, love, love. Dave, you pick the restaurant. And I said, okay, honey, well, how about Chili's? No, not there. Well, what about Logan's? No, not there. Well, well let's go to Ruby Tuesday. No, not there. And, and I learned at this point that my wife didn't actually want me to pick a restaurant. <laughs> she wanted to play a game, and, and, and I titled that game, it's called Guess Where Michelle Wants to Go to Dinner. <laughs> that is the name of the game, and if I get it within five tries, I win. I don't know what I win, but I win. So, so here's the thing, in, in understanding this about our relationship, Honestly, we do the same thing with God. We say, God, close our eyes and we pray, God, your will be done in my life, in my marriage, in my home, in my family. God, I want you to do whatever it is you want me to do. And whether it's an impression or whether you hear an audible voice, God says, go there. And we say, no, not there. Not there. And somehow we still think it's his will. Let us not imagine that if we only obey God when it's easy, that we're doing his will. If we turn away when his will is difficult, it's not his will for our lives, it's ours. It's ours. If we allow our will to become the final say in our lives, our will becomes the final authority. When it comes to God's authority, when it comes to his authority, we cannot pick and choose. So then why is God's authority so important in our lives and family? The Gospels tell the story of the centurion who has a sick servant, and he sends word for Jesus and says this in Matthew 8, 8. He says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, 
and he does it. Jesus marvels at the response and heals the centurion's servant. In the passage, the centurion recognizes the authority of Jesus for his situation. And we see to live under the authority of Christ is to receive the blessings and benefits of Christ. The same authority we often rebel against is the very authority that brings healing. It brings restoration and it brings reconciliation with God. And honestly, it's time that we ourselves stop rebelling against the very authority that saves us. So we talked about authority as, our, as a career characteristic of a commitment to God. And our next one we're going to cover is on influence. James gives us a picture of this in the first chapter, verse 27. It says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we're going to focus on the last half of that passage that's underlined. It says, we are not to be influenced by the world around us, but we often allow that influence into our lives. We quote movies, TVs, celebrities, famous books and authors, but what we know about Scripture is so much less. That's very sad. You see, the true priority of our lives is revealed and what we choose to be influenced by. The Bible talks again and again of the world system as something we are called to be on guard against, but we often live our lives with our guards down. We're told we need to wear certain things to be accepted. We're told what to buy, what's normal in a relationship. We're told what status is, what it means to be good, and what success looks like. Whether we realize it or not, we're influenced by these things and we are allowing them into our homes, our families, and our marriage. Don't you think God defines success differently than society? Who is really influencing us as the people of God? Does the world around us see relationships like God sees relationships? Who is determining the lives we let, or the people we let into our lives? You see, the more we allow worldly influence into our lives, the less we find ourselves listening to God. And what we allow ourselves to be influenced by matters because God wants all of us. So how we are influenced is important, but we're also called to influence. Jesus says this, and I've read this a lot, and it, it really hit me as, as God was leading me through this lesson, and it was Matthew 5, 14, and, and it's a simple thing. It says, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want you to understand these verses in the right context, that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are called to be an influencer 
for God. I'm called to be an influencer for God. Men in the room and everything that I have seen in the last 30 years, manhood has been hijacked. It has been hijacked. And here's the issue when we imagine that influence is important. Because as biblical manhood was hijacked by society, rather than being the church, we became silent. And I want you to see the depth of the statement. If God is calling us to do the work of the church, if we are called to be a light, if we're called to share the gospel, if we are called first and foremost to be the influence in our homes, if we're called to do that first, what happens? That's one extreme and then God is glorified and homes are affected and families are affected. But the other extreme is to remain silent. God's called us to one thing, but we do another. And as manhood was hijacked, often as men, we did not demonstrate a better way, a better option. Because look, we are called to share the gospel. We are called to be the light, to speak to our children and to influence our wives as they influence us. And to be the church, to do the work of the church, it's to speak, it's to move, and again, to influence. None of us gets a pass on this one. None of us. And understand why being an influencer is important. And I found this quote in the, 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 the author is disputed, so I'll leave it as unknown, but the quote is simply this. Existence without influence amounts to irrelevance. This is why influence is so critical in the affairs of people. So often what happens in our Christian life and in our homes is that we imagine God is gonna give us a purpose. But what is that purpose gonna call us to do if it's for God? It's gonna call us to influence. It's gonna call us to speak. Whether you are, are serving with, with children over here in, in Echo and you are speaking on behalf of these children who don't have dads in their lives because you're there. It's gonna call you to have a voice. But often what happens is we remain silent. We remain silent and we wonder why our lives don't seem like they have any purpose. But that's how God has designed us to be. It's time for us to break the silence and share the gospel. It's time for us to be an influence, a godly influence in our marriages and in our relationships to our children, to our families. And rather than irrelevance, what we see in the quote here, God transitions our lives to relevance. Because the gospel will make our lives relevant because Jesus will always be relevant. He will always be relevant. You are given the greatest love in Christ and he calls you to influence because there's people in your life that needs, they need to see how much he loves them. And God says, I'm gonna do that through you, through me. We are called to influence and people will see the greatest love they could ever experience through your life through mine. Bob Goff, he, he makes an incredible statement. He wrote the, the book, Love Does. And he makes a statement. He's, he says, it will be the people with the greatest love, not the most information, who will influence us to change. Do you know that the world has tried? But there is no greater love story on the planet than Jesus. 
There is no greater love story on the planet. And it's the same story that influences our heart that if we allow it, it'll change the home. So as I was considering all of this, this loving commitment to God and his love back to us being so strong and so dominating over our lives that we can't help but feel loved by him, no matter how hard our lives have been, understanding that in this commitment, if I establish him as my authority and I allow the word of God and the spirit of God to be the influence of my life, my question as I was going through this, I was, what's the impact of this? And in my Bible software, yes, I'm still a nerd. Um, God led me to a word and I wasn't planning it. I didn't know how this was all gonna play out when I was writing it, but he led me to a word that I had to camp out at for a while. And it was the word power. And the definition of my software was this, authority and influence, strength or ability. And I sat there and I just had this wow moment with God. And then I started to think about it because power, right? We see it. We see it in family. Here's what happens for some of us. We often see the wrong power. When we were younger, we, we, we might have had a mom or a dad who either had a temper or they were abusive or other things were more important in their lives, so it, they were neglectful. And in their power, they had that authority over us to do those things. And whether we like it or not, they had that influence in our lives. And if we never readdress it in our lives, we will repeat it. And so we find ourselves sometimes in relationships in modern day, now that we're older, oh my gosh, I just, I just projected my dad's temper on my wife, my, my mom's anger on my husband, because we've never addressed the, the, the power that was over us. And it happens. Here's the thing today. I have good news for you. I have good news for you. That pain from your past, that those people who had power over you, it can end today. It can end with you. You do not have to pass it on to the person you're dating or the person you're married to. You don't have to pass it on to your children. It can die with you. God in his power can overcome all of it all of it. You see, God offers a different power for your lives. I read an incredible testimony, and bear with me on this one, and it illustrates this point beautifully. Listen to the story of a man who tells of a power change in his family. And this is what he says. He says, when I was 10, all I had ever known up until that point was chaos in my home. I was the oldest of four children, and the atmosphere was volatile for all of us. My father and mother were in constant conflict, making divorce seem like the only possible outcome. But what my dad modeled for me the year that I turned 10 forever changed my life. That was the year my dad turned to Jesus. But my dad didn't just accept God's salvation. He immediately became fired up about God and the Bible. 
he became an instant evangelist consumed with God's word. My mom didn't like my dad as a sinner, and she liked him even less as a saint. And after my dad became a Christian, my mom did everything she could to make his life difficult. My dad couldn't even read his Bible until after my mom went to sleep because she would make his life so miserable when he did. But my dad was committed to aligning himself under God. So my father did everything he could to show love to my mom in spite of how she treated him. Rather than divorce her, he loved her unconditionally. Day after day, month after month, my mom tried anything and everything to knock my dad's focus off of God and to make him stop loving her. But nothing worked. My dad was calm, consistent, and caring. And around midnight one night, my mom came down the stairs with tears in her eyes. My dad was reading his Bible. When he saw her tears, he asked her what was wrong. She told him that, that she could not understand how the more she rejected him, was unkind to him, and tried to prove that believing in God was wrong, the more kind he was to her and the more he invested in the word. And in her tears, she looked at my dad and she said, I want what you have because it must be real. They both got down on their knees and my dad led my mom to Christ. And after that, he led all of us kids to Christ and daily modeled for us the value of making God and his word the central focus in all that he did. You see the amazing thing about this story? The 10-year-old boy telling it, he grew up to be Tony Evans. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a pastor in Dallas, Texas. He has a radio program. He's written lessons. He has shared the gospel with millions, with millions. And he has four kids of his own. And, and many of you ladies know what I'm about to say next. One of his daughters is Priscilla Shire. And she, through her writing, through her teaching of women and through conferences and, and all the like, she, she also has shared the gospel with millions. You see, when we look back on our story, one father choosing the power of God for his family changed the destiny of his family. Changed the destiny of his family. And not only that, millions of others. Millions of others. So men in the room, please hear me. Please hear me. Whose authority do you demonstrate in your life? Is it yours or is it God's? When your wife is not doing exactly what you want her to do, is it your authority or is it God's authority? When your children are acting up and they're getting on your nerves, is it your authority or is it God's authority? Whose authority do they see coming out of you? Is it your life or is it his? Because please hear me on this one. If you as a father and as a husband are not willing to be submitted to God's authority, don't be surprised if your children don't either. You see, they desperately need to see this from you. 
They desperately need to see a dad submitted to the authority of God, a husband submitted to the authority of God. Secondly, in this one, men, how are you using your influence? Are you living out the gospel for your wife and your family to see? One of the hardest things Corey has ever asked me to do, and it was, it was one year into it, he said, Dave, I want you to take on more appointments. And I want you to take on more counseling. And I've had a number of women come to my office, whether dating or married. And all they want, dozens and dozens of them. They just want a godly man in their life. They just want a godly man to lead their home. I hear it again and again, and it's the same story. Here's the thing is, they're rooting for you. They want this from you. They, they want to see this change in you, and they want to, to draw you towards it. I'm not saying that women are perfect. I'm not giving them a pass in this. But they desperately want this for you. Your children need this from you. How are you using your influence? And then finally, are you living this out practically with your family? Are you living it out practically? Do you model what it means to be a godly dad or a godly husband? You know what? Here's the deal. There has to be those moments where your children look at you and your wife and they go, ooh, because you love each other so much it grosses them out. It needs to happen at least once. It lets you know that you are modeling a godly love for them to see. That's what, the, that's what you're offering. This is what you're giving them. Are you, are you reading scripture with your family? Because the thing is, there is a primary message that comes from our lives. And here's the hard part. It often comes after we pass away. Oh man, he sure did love his football. He sure did love his baseball. You should have seen his golf swing. What is that primary message that you're sending to your family? Man, I, I hope that people say of you when, it, when it's at, at that place in your life where people are remembering you, man, he sure did love God. He sure was committed to Jesus with his life. You see, I, I say this to you because when... Michelle and I got married. It was, it was a Christian marriage. We had a pastor. We, we had a Christian ceremony. And it was believed to be a Christian marriage. But when I came into that marriage, our marriage, I was not submitted to the authority of God. I was not. And it was horrible. It was difficult. I was at that place where I remember talking to my brother and I said, I don't know if a year from now I'm still going to be married. I don't know. And then God literally through his Holy Spirit set me on fire. And everything in my life changed. And looking back and understanding what happened, I had made God the authority of my life. And I was influenced by his word. I craved it like I craved oxygen. And I just started reading. One year I had gone through the New Testament 10 times and I had read the entire Bible once. I was on fire. And in the midst of that, God taught me how to love my wife. And at the beginning of this marriage, I didn't know if I was still going to be with her. And I stand before you here today, 19 years later, saying when I take that last breath, 
when my life is done, I pray she's the last person I see. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. And wives and mothers in the room, I want to challenge you this morning. Does your commitment to Jesus reveal itself in your marriage? I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you're on a mountaintop with your husband. Everything's going great. But maybe you're also you're in a season of just distress, disappointment. Let me give you a word. Don't allow pain to be your response. We, we allow that. We respond in pain when we're in a situation. But stay focused on Christ in that difficult season because our commitment to God will become your greatest story. Secondly, are you a godly influence to your husband and family? You see, our husbands need our encouragement. They need that shoulder that we can provide. Our children need there's a mom that will nurture them and that will give them a godly perspective. You see, we can be our family's greatest influence. And either we'll be the influence or they'll find it elsewhere. And next, is God using you to be a light for others in your life? We all have a sphere of influence. And when you are living for God in today's world, your life stands out. They see a difference in you that they don't see in other people. Your life looks like it's being guided by a different compass compared to everyone around you. And I want to tell you just a little bit about my perspective from those first two years of our marriage. You see, I played a role in that as well. I wasn't being the, a God-like, Christ-following wife. We went to church. We checked that off the list because that was his thing to do. But we were not under God's authority and we were allowing the world to influence us. I honestly was in a very selfish state in my marriage. I had a little boy that I loved dearly, but I was definitely not meeting the needs of my husband and I was more concerned about my needs being met than his. It was about me being right and not trying to solve an argument. I remember a very tough conversation and probably one of my less finer moments. I said to him, I don't respect you. I don't trust you to lead our family spiritually. I don't trust that you even love me. And I don't trust you with my heart. Ladies, those are not the kind of things you say to your husband and expect a positive response. It definitely wasn't any encouragement for him to do anything differently. And last week, Corey spoke to the women in the room and just challenged us to, you know, that men, their love language is words of affirmation. I was not encouraging him or affirming him or respecting him. But David mentioned God started transforming his life, and there was just this radical difference that I noticed. And I was desperate. I wanted our marriage to work. I had already been through one divorce, and I didn't want another one. And I remember the day we sat down and we took divorce off the table. We, we had thrown that word around a lot. And I felt like it was an easy out for him. And we took it off the table. It was no longer an option. We were never going to speak of that word again. We were in it for the long haul, no matter how hard it got. And it didn't, get, it didn't turn around overnight, I will say that. 
But I began to respond to his love and the compassion and forgiveness he showed me. We started taking our relationship very seriously, but more importantly, we started taking our relationship with God more seriously. I started falling more and more in love with him, and I just couldn't think that that was ever even a possibility, that I would fall deeper in love with him. But with God, you can. And I saw just this godly man just transforming daily, and it was just such a miracle happening before my eyes. And I cannot imagine living my life without him today. I just cannot. I love him more than any human being possible. And I'm telling you, it's possible for you too. That's not an option just that God allowed for us, but he will do the same for you. He transformed us and he transformed our marriage. And God offers that to you because he loves us so much. So here's what we're gonna do. We're at the end of the lesson. If you are with your family today, I want you to put a hand on your family. And uh, if your children are here, I want you to put a hand on your children. I want you to put a hand on your wife, your husband. If you're dating, put, put a hand on each other. Because it doesn't start after you're married. It starts now. And what we're doing here today corporately is something that you can do together starting today if you don't pray with each other already. But we're going to pray together. We believe it starts by praying together. So all around us also is communion. To, to my left and right, there will people up, be people up front who will pray for you. And guys, we're up here being way more vulnerable than is comfortable because we know God can change homes and he can change lives and he can change relationships. And, and that's our prayer for you. So as soon as we're done, you can take communion. You can, you can be prayed for. We'll be hanging out. Um, I pray God does something awesome in your life. Let's pray. God, I, th I thank you for the families and the relationships in this room. God, what we offer up today, God, is uh, first and foremost, we ask, ask you to forgive us. We ask you to forgive us for the times where we set our authority before yours. That God, this is, this is not how you've wanted us to be and we recognize that and God, that you have so much more for us. You have a better life for us and God, we know that it begins by saying, I am yours. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your mercy. And God, we come before you and, and with your authority in our lives, God, we ask you to guide us. And God, through your word, God, we, we ask for its influence. We ask for, for the spirit of God to convict our hearts and to show us the way. However it is that you would have us go, God, please let that be in our lives. God, we offer, all, we offer all of this to you, God. We offer our lives to you. Let us be the, the fathers and the mothers we need to be to our children. Let us grow as the husbands and wives you have always wanted us to be. Totally in love with you. God, we know you're gonna do an awesome thing. And that is our hope today. Lord, we're depending on you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys very much.